Good afternoon, church. We always give thanks to the Lord for what he has done. We were reading in Psalm 40 earlier in our leadership meeting about the many things that God has done that we can't even number them. We can't even speak of all of them because they are so many. We're continuing this afternoon in our series in Philippians, Be Encouraged. The title of today's sermon is Die to Self. And we're going to find ourselves in Philippians chapter 2. You know, the most important thing in our lives is our walk with God. So often, other things just seem to crowd him out at times where we get sidetracked, where we place other things as priority, even over him, uh, maybe things of family or education or getting ahead in life, our careers. It's, it's all of these other things that we look to uh, satisfy us and we strive after. And it's not that those things are bad, but when they get into being in the way of our relationship with God and the most important thing in life, uh, it becomes a problem. It's been said that self-fulfillment is no longer a byproduct of life, but so often people are committed as their pursuit in all that they do and their calculation to have self-fulfillment be the end goal. It, it is not the most important thing, but when we walk with the Lord, there will always be self-fulfillment. Thomas Brooks said, here is a wonder. God is on high, and yet the higher a man lifts up himself, the further he is away from God. And the lower a man humbles himself, the nearer he is to God. Isn't that true? We're going to read again in Philippians, starting in chapter 2. I'm reading out of the CSB this afternoon, so if you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the first four verses, and it reads this way. If then... There is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love united in Spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this afternoon and being able to come into your house and receive our daily bread. Father, I pray that 
I would divide the word of truth properly and that you would give your people ears to hear, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. Have you ever felt that you would be a much better Christian if it were not for people? Often, we understand our relationship with God and our interaction with him and have a desire to be strong in our faith and be pleasing to him and have these, these goals of being a good Christian. And then people disrupt that. People, people are hard. It, it reminds me of me spending time in, in Zambia. And for one season, I was going to be without my family for months. They had gone home, and I was there, and I recognized this is a very unique opportunity. I'm married. I have children. I'm staying married. And as long as God keeps my children, I will have children to raise. But Right now, I'm away from them and it's going to be for a couple of months. So I thought to myself, I need to take advantage of this opportunity because this is very unique. I don't have to focus on my wife and her needs and the children and their needs. I'm here alone. So I'm going to work out. I'm going to work some things out spiritually in my life, closing myself in with God. I, I knew I had some issues that I, that I really wanted to work on, and I felt this is the perfect opportunity for me to get some of this stuff behind me. And I pursued that. During the time I was there, one of my friends who's a pastor came over to Zambia with a team. And, and he and I got to talking, and, and I said to him, hey, I really um, have been focused on God and dealing with some issues in my life, and, and I feel like I have victory in these things, and they're behind me. And he said to me, um, Reg, uh, right now, you're pretty isolated, and uh, let's just see when you get back to America, if those things are truly behind you and if it works out for you. And I was like, well, thanks for uh, throwing some water on my fire. But uh, I came home, and within a week, I'm driving in the car with my wife, and I got into a, a road rage situation. And exactly what he said came back to my mind. Hey, when you are back in society and dealing with people, let's see if those things really have been conquered in your life. 
So, so when I say, uh, if it weren't for people, we would be uh, thinking that our Christian life would be so great, that um, attitude uh, even went on way back, where people decided, I'm going to be a monk. I'm going to close myself in. I'm going to just interact with God. I'm going to withdraw from society. Um, I'm going to withdraw and seclude myself, and, and that's going to help my walk with God. Uh, a person would choose to do that because it's hard to deal with people. But actually, our interaction with people is a be- very big indicator on where we are in our relationship with God. Clint Eastwood said, the less you mess around with people, the better off you are. Napoleon said, all being said, I like only those people who are useful to me, and only so long as they are useful. Wow. That sounds kind of like, who would say something like that? In some shape, form, or fashion, we all tend to do that. We, we surround ourselves with people that are useful to us. And, and if it comes to a point where they're a hindrance or a bother, then we will definitely start stepping back from them. And if we don't have to deal with them, we won't deal with them at all. I mean, we do it in like a real Christian way, right? Because when we're at church, we'll still smile, we'll still wave. But in our hearts and minds, we've separated from them. Sometimes, uh, because of the relationship, we're not able to do that with some of the people in our lives. It could be one of our children. It could be our spouse, Uh, It could be other people that we have to relate to, a a sibling or whatever, but sometimes we still do that in our hearts and in our minds, where we discard people, either we physically do it and stay out of the way of them, or we do it in thought and attitude. Philippians chapter 1 the theme of the whole chapter was Christ first. Some of the scriptures we uh, focused on in the last couple of weeks was first, um, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? Christ first. Last week we read verse 27, just one thing, as a citizen of heaven. Live your lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we ended with verse 29, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So the first chapter of Philippians spoke about Christ first. Well, chapter two of Philippians focuses on others next. So, Christ first and others next. 
the Bible tells us to love God and to love people. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. In, in other words, this is, this is not asking a question if, it's, it's, it's stating it in a different way, knowing that it is. Because if our experiences are real, it will be verified in the behavior and in the attitude of the believer. It, it will be not only what we talk about, but it would be what we walk. It would not only be a form of speech, but we will see it in our actions and in our activities. If Christ is present, if we are in communion with him, then there will be a stirring in our heart. It will stimulate emotions. It will constrain our will. It has to. It's that part of us in constraining our will and our hearts being stirred and our emotions being stimulated where uh, we have that wrestle because often what we say is me first. It's, it's hard. It's hard to say your will be done. It's easy to say that in a philosophical way. Yes, God, your will be done. But what makes it hard is often your will be done means submitting to people, foregoing our rights. And in the heat of the moment when someone does something crazy to you, and, 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 and you feel like you've been violated, it's in, it's in that time when your will be done should be applied. And, and it's in that very time that we say, oh, no, 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 I have rights. Uh, you violated me, um, me first. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. And we know the kind of love that God loved us with, with a sacrificial love, uh, with a love where he thought of us past his rights and what was happening to him, and did it with joy for our sake. Verse 2 of, second, of the second chapter says, Make my joy complete. By thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to belong to Christ? What has he done for us? What is it to be in Christ and have all the benefits of being 
in Christ. The text tells us if, if these things are true, if that's where we are, then there should be an outcome. What does it mean to have unity, to have fellowship with the believers? Discord is, is something that, that starts small. It's easy to have disunity. It happens often uh, with people we rarely know, with friends, with our deepest relationships, maybe our marriage or with our children or our sibling, and, and certainly with the church. And, and as those things happen, it starts small, but it can end up Really, really big. But what the text is telling us, if we have all of these things and the benefits of being in Christ, then the effect should be these other things. But that's exactly where um, we struggle because there is a very big difference between unity and uniformity. True spiritual unity comes from within. It, it, is, it is a matter of the heart. Real unity doesn't have reservations that aren't seen outwardly. Real unity means that something on the inside has taken place where we are really on the same page. Not that it just appears that way. Uniformity is the result when pressure comes from without, from the outside. We, we see that displayed sometimes with our children. One of the things that I've learned is as my boys were getting older, oh, there was uniformity. They, they followed the rules because... We weren't having it. So they would end up losing privileges if they didn't follow the rules. One of the privileges they, they may lose is the ability to breathe because will you going to do what we say you're going to do when you're in this house? I, obviously, I'm taking that far. Don't go home and kill your kids. But the point is, their motivation for doing what they did was uniformity. It was outside pressure imposing on them what they were going to do. Had nothing to do with their heart. Unity is from the inside. So, so, so when they were able to display what parts of our household that they would live out when they got on their own, well, some of it, they said, all right, I'll do that. And other parts, they're like, I'm living my life because now they're in the position to do so. Well, that's a natural thing of kids growing up and going out, and God has a grace for that, and, and he will do a work in their lives, and they'll have their own testimony as we do. It's a little different when, um, when you're married to somebody and there's not unity but uniformity. 
where, where, where we coexist, but, but on the inside, the heart is a different matter. It's a different thing when it comes to the body of Christ where we're not all on one page. Because although it looks like we're together, we're actually moving in different directions. So here, where the text is telling us in chapter 1, hey, this is about God. We will say to live is Christ. Meaning, whatever you call me to do, God, not my will, but yours. But in different little areas, there's points of discord. And we really have to be careful with that as believers because we do things in a way that we can kind of justify what we're doing. So, for instance, if something happens between my wife and I, or if she doesn't like something, the way she would try to um, get my attention, if she feels I'm stepping outside of being a pastor, she'll say, Pastor. So, so she often calls me pastor, but when she says it a certain way, it's her trying to, to get to me in a certain way. So, so even for myself, if, if she does something that displeases me, we're not going to have a physical altercation. We may not even have a verbal altercation. But you know what I'll do? I'll step back a little bit. I'll, I'll withhold affection. I'll, I'll have an attitude, but I'll keep it on the inside. And when she asks me, like, hey, um, is everything all right? Everything's fine. Why does your face look like that? The only face I got. So in that moment, right, there isn't real unity, um, there's uniformity. And, and we have to be careful with that because we can go on and do that in the church with our kids and other relationships with our spouses, and that gap gets bigger and bigger. And, and what this text is telling us here is we need to be aware of those things. So... True spirituality, true spiritual unity comes from within. Paul opens up this section appealing to the highest possible spiritual motive. In other words, he, he's appealing to, hey, these are the things that because you are in the body, if you are, then this is what should be. If any fellowship of the Spirit, if the indwelling of the Holy Spirit be true, if it be in you, then there is a felt reality in the Christian life. In, in, in other words, those areas that we just touched on, when the rubber meets the road, you're going to see on display the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. If he's walking in the Spirit, if she's walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Self-expression and self-realization always competes with self-sacrifice in the life of a Christian. 
See, see, because in the, in the world, self-expression and self-realization is one of the things that people uh, use as a commodity. You know, I must have that. This is who I am. Not for the believer. Not, not for the one that was bought with a price. You don't own yourself. You don't belong to yourself. You've been purchased and you belong to God. And along with belonging to God is our call to self-sacrifice. And one thing about God, he didn't ask us to do anything that we can't do, nor he didn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done to the whatever power, the millionth power. Jesus displayed it. We'll be talking about that next week. So for the Christian... It is about self-sacrifice. David Wilkinson said this, a humble person is not a person that thinks little of himself, hanging his head and says, I'm nothing. Rather, he is one who depends wholly on the Lord for everything in every circumstance. See, it is the humble person that says, I don't know enough. I'm not strong enough. That song we sang, let the poor say I am rich. Let the weak say I am strong. That that's in the Lord. That comes by recognizing our total dependence is on God. Paul knew that this was an issue in the church, although when he wrote this letter to this church, it was a letter of encouragement and a letter of joy with really no correction. But like in every church, there were things going on there. And he was letting them know, don't let these small things get out of hand. Paul said, hey, Philippi, because you're in Christ, I I want to encourage you toward unity. I want to encourage you towards love. I want there to be no division. Paul was saying to the church, actually, the same thing that we need to hear. Your disagreements reveal that there is a spiritual problem in your fellowship. Often, when we think about a disagreement, we justify our position and we put the blame on everyone else. You ask your child, uh, son, did you hit your sister? And he'll say, I took, she took my toy. That's not what I asked you. I asked you if you hit your sister. It's the same thing where God said to Adam, Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? Said, the woman you gave me, she took it and ate and I ate. Oh, so she did it. So he throws her under the bus. And remember, this woman didn't come out of nowhere. You gave this woman to to me. So it's her fault and maybe it's your fault too. That, that, that's, what, that's what we 
do. We will justify why it's okay for us to have these divisions where we would in our hearts and minds say, it's okay for me to do this in this very instance. But that is a, a spiritual problem. That is something deeper. Um, and guess what? It's not going to be solved by rules and threats. It's not going to be solved that way. You, you can threaten your kid to conformity. That is not doing anything necessarily inside of their heart. So even all these years later, we have a different philosophy in raising our daughter. The boys is like, do what I said or I'll kill you. Her is like, what is the heart of the matter? And it's not that we didn't do that with them, but we go even deeper. And we need to do that within ourselves. Why? Why am I doing that? Why is this going on on the inside? What is the root of this thing? Where is my heart in this matter? It's going to be solved when your hearts are right with Christ and with others. Paul wants them to see that where these things stem from is selfishness. It's self. We are so prone to be about me first. And where does selfishness stem from? Pride. And God hates pride. There cannot be any true joy in the life of the Christian if they live a life putting themselves above others. We cannot put ourselves above others, and we cannot put ourselves above God. But we often find ourselves doing that. The secret of joy, in spite of circumstances, is single-mindedness. We must be on the same page. It is better to go through an issue together in unity, as hard as it is, there will even be joy in us going through, through things together, and there will be benefits of growth on the other side of it than if we're just not actually united, but we are conforming where there's uniformity, where it looks like we're moving in the same direction, but I got thoughts. I got thoughts about why we're in this situation, and maybe it was that decision you made or this that went on over there. And we're walking as we're walking together, but something different is going on in the inside, and there's no oneness. There should be a oneness between a husband and wife. There should be a oneness between a family. And there should be a oneness in the church. This is what the scripture is telling us. That we're moving in the same direction through thick and thin, fighting through every circumstance. The text, before we get to that, not only is there a secret joy in spite of circumstances and single-mindedness, there's also a secret of joy in spite of people. 
Going back to what we were speaking about from the beginning, it's, it's people that ends up trying to rob our joy or causes us what we consider a problem where we would like rather isolate. But the secret of joy in spite of people is the submissive mind. It, it is uh, not me saying I demand my rights in every situation. It is being submissive to the degree where I'm going to put someone else's needs and feelings and situation before my own. Let's not confuse that with being trampled on. That, that's not what we're talking about. Sometimes Christians believe that um, it's okay for them to be stepped on. No, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about put someone else's interests in front of your own. That, that's what the text says. It says, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. In the natural, that's impossible. It's like, what are you even talking about? Why are you even bringing that up? In, in the spirit, all things are possible. There is nothing that God calls us to do that he doesn't equip us to do. John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you, you are also to love one another. Just as I've loved you. Well, how did he love us? He put us before himself. First Peter 4 eight says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, you could be sinned against, but because of the condition of your heart and your love, that sin could be covered over. I don't have to demand my rights in that situation when I'm sinned against. Jesus didn't demand his rights in that situation. Matter of fact, he took those things on with joy, knowing what it was going to do for you and I standing right here today. Many of our problems in life come from people. We, we often think that, hey, okay, that's fine. But as Christians, um, we should be able to get along with each other better than non-Christians. I mean, if we have all of these things that we were talking about, um, we should be able to get along with each other, not like how the outside world gets along with each other because everything is kind of contractual, right? You do your part, I do my part. When we're done doing our part, we part. But for the Christian, it's supposed to be different. Well, yes, that's true. And we have the power for it to be different. The issue is, um, it's not always different because we still live in this flesh and we still struggle with the flesh. So there are times where we're like, God, your will be done. And we 
allow God's will to be done. God's will is always done, but we don't put up resistance against that. And then there's other times when we say, your will be done. But when the situation arises, in the heat of the moment, when we feel violated, when we want to say, no, 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 I'm going to stand for my rights, and I'm not putting that person above me in this situation, uh, that's where it changes a little bit. We still have an internal struggle with the flesh. So at times, because of that internal struggle with the flesh, the flesh wins in situations. And when the flesh wins, there's uh, injury. Th things happen. But this should be both humbling and comforting at the same time that God has given us the Holy Spirit, that that should be actually particularly humbling. Because if you really think about it, we know that the Holy Spirit has come into our lives and, and it, it is our assurance, I am saved. And when we received the Holy Spirit, everything changed. Our eyes were open. We knew. I am now in God's kingdom. I am his child. We also know that we're going to be welcomed into his presence in the end. When all this is said and done, when he takes us home, whether he comes back to get us or brings us to him, and that's good. But what about all of that space in between when you got saved and before you get taken home? That's where the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is a gift that we have that should be cherished, and it is a gift that is so necessary for living life for every believer. The, the, the first thing you have to recognize, it is such a gift because we don't sometimes acknowledge the gravity of our condition as sinners. See, justification deals with the guilt of sin and the final glorification where sin will be defeated. But the presence and the power of sin still remains between this space in time and the work of grace continually is doing something in our lives because sin doesn't merely leave us guilty, but it renders us unable. In, in other words, we know that sin has brought on us where we're like, I am separate from God. And when he changes that, even then, without the power of the Holy Spirit, you are helpless. You are desperate. You are unable to do anything that would please God. So as a gift, he has given us the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, and we desperately need the help of the Holy Spirit every single day. Our struggle with sin 
is so deep that only God living on the inside of us to give us the power to, to please him in living out life. But that is a wonderful gift. You can come up, Brittany. If you're a child of God, you already have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He has come, and his conviction and his enabling through grace to get us through moment by moment is a precious gift for you and I. Christ put himself. He took himself to the cross. He put you and I before himself. And, and what he's calling us is to do the same thing. Christ thought about you and I and all that he did. And what we do is we have selfish ambitions, where often what we do is put ourselves in front of people and in front of God. It doesn't matter who the person is. If we're doing it to God, we're doing it to everybody. We're doing it to our spouse. We're doing it to our kids. We're doing it to our people, uh, our neighbors in, in church and in every place else. We're putting ourselves in front of both people and God. And God is telling us, think more highly of others. Put others before yourself. And especially in the hardest places to do it in the places where we have history, in the place where we can't get away from each other. You could just wave to me and, and have niceties and walk out the door and not worry about it, but it's somebody that you are confronted with all the time, every day, that you have history of. You've injured them, they've injured you, you remember that stuff, and there's things that were being held on to. We got to stop. We, we, we have to come to a place where if Jesus said, I'll put you first, how do we not do that for one another? This is almighty God that has done that. It is a constant fight for the believer not to take first place and to put others first. But today, I could tell you that he died for you and I. And we need to repent about that and ask God to help us if we are in Christ, if we are filled with the Holy Ghost, then we can put others first. We can forego our rights. And it changes every relationship. Maybe, maybe you're in this place and you, and you don't know 
God. And through your own hands, you've continually walked down the road of self-destruction. In this day, God is, is calling you to put your life in his nail-pierced hands. His hands of love, his hands of power, his hands of care, his hands of strength. Calling you to, to repent and to accept his free gift of grace. You need him and we all need him as well. The cross is for us every single day. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to come and see me after service if God has tugged at your heart. And I will pray with you. But for the rest of us, I want to pray for us. Father, we so thank you for this word today, Lord. First, we want to come to you repenting each one going through the Rolodex of their mind, Lord, recognizing how we justify putting ourselves in first place, not putting others before ourselves and sometimes not putting you before ourselves, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Change us, Lord. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, in every area of our life, we ask that you would help us walk in unity and not uniformity, Lord. Not, not holding on these things on the inside while we're expressing a lie on the outside, Lord. That by the power of your Holy Ghost, Lord, that we would be able to say, Forget about me. I love you. That we would see each other the way you see them, Lord. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We so desperately need you to walk out this life, oh God. We thank you that you make all things new, Lord. So even as we consider these things, we ask that you would do a mighty work, oh God. We thank you, Lord, that you're not yet done with us. That we can walk with a great confidence knowing that the good work that you started in us, that you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. We praise you for that, Lord. We glorify you for that, Lord. We thank you that you are a God that has shown us the way and done for us and empowered us to put others before ourselves. And that by doing that, we're showing even our love for you, God. What a loving God you are. What a patient God you are. What a long-suffering God you are. What a good God you are. 
thank you, Lord. Do a work in each one of us this day, Lord. Turn situations around for us, oh God. Help us because we need you. We're walking out of here different than we walked in, Lord, with a great anticipation in what you will do. We thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost that we could walk in the Spirit and not satisfy the desires of the flesh. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, family.